0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. There were elections in Italy over the weekend, and again, it pushed Europe more towards the far-right lean. And it has more people worried about what the future of the region will be. In the first election in several years, populists took home more votes than expected, in part due to an anti-immigrant theme. And it is also under a mindset that working with the EU may not be the best option at this time. To take a look at what happened in these elections and more, we are joined on the phone by Francesca Fasalo, who is an associate professor of political science at the University of Southern Maine. And also joining us is Filippo today, who is director of the Institute for Policy Research at uh, SAIS Europe, Johns Hopkins University. He is also a fellow there as well. Francesca, Filippo, great to have you both with us today. Thank you both.
0: Thank you, Dan. Pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you. Uh, so, Filippo, I, I, I guess let's start with uh, the the need to have these elections. What was driving that in the first place?
2: Well, you know, it was just a standard election at the end of the term. The last election were in 2013. It was the, the natural duration of the term, so we added to the Italian Parliament had to be renewed, and uh, so election were called. It was rather of a n ordinary election, even so the outcome was far from being ordinary.
1: Francesca, what, what is the reaction uh, of you and a lot of people to what you saw over the weekend there?
0: Well, on one side, there is a little bit of surprise because we have three large political blocs now in Italy. But at the same time, uh, there is a movement uh, among, your, among Italian citizens to actually start becoming a bit more anti-EU than before.
1: And part of that is really just what we've seen uh, in their country and with their economy over the last few years, correct?
0: Yes, I think initially some of the political parties were a bit concerned about the economic situation, which has improved in Italy over the last five years. But in the end, the migrant crisis has taken over the discussion uh, during the campaign.
1: So, Filippo, so, uh, uh, what do you see then uh, is the path of, of Italy right now? Obviously, there's a lot of conversation. We know what's going on with the U.K., with the Brexit, that they are involved. Could this potentially lead to something similar to that down the road? I know it would probably be a, a, uh, a long period of time, but could there be some sort of move like that?
2: I don't think so. It's quite unlikely. First of all, for a very concrete reason, Uh, because Italy is part of the Eurozone, uh, it it didn't just pick uh, a common market or a custom union like uh, the UK did. The UK made it very clear that they were not interested in joining uh, the single currency, the euro, and before, in a sense, they kept their hands uh, uh, free. Uh, This is not what uh, Italy has done. So, because of the additional integration between now, the Italian economy and the rest of the eurozone, both in economic terms and in financial terms, an exit strategy is far more cumbersome and definitely, definitely more costly. In fact, uh, a few hours before, uh, we, because before our, our discussion now, uh, the leader of the league, uh, possibly the, one of the winners of, uh, of, of this election and uh, the leader of the biggest party in the center-right coalition made it very clear that also he strongly objected to the nature of the EU and he thinks uh, it was a mistake. He does not think that any unilateral move of Italy out of the Eurozone is either feasible nor desirable
1: does this francesca to a degree kind of follow the path that we have seen in other elections uh in europe where uh the populist movement or the far right uh is is starting to gain more ground at least in italy in this case but in other locations we've seen in the last few months as well
0: uh i would say yes for sure although even if um, there is this anti EU forces that have been expanding consistently. Um, there have been cases like France, for instance, where actually they've been rejected, they've been pushed back. They, they, had an, they had a successful attempt during the presidential election there in 2017, and yet their candidate did not really get more than a third uh, of the votes. So it is true that they are on the, on the rise overall across Europe, but they're not representing the majority for now.
1: We are joined on the phone by Francesca Fasalo of uh, the University of Southern Maine, Filippo Tadai, who is with uh, SCI, uh, Johns Hopkins University in Europe. 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to join in, Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. 942 Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh Filippo, you mentioned uh, the league, one of the parties over there. Uh, Matteo Salvini is the is the leader of that party right now, and you mentioned that he seemingly did gain uh, a, a good bit with these with this election procedure. Tell us more about that.
2: Well, you know. We- the center-right uh, coalition has always been uh, basically a two-pillar coalition built on two parties, Forte Italia by the, the notorious Silvio uh, 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 the, uh, the uh, Berlusconi, and the League, the uh, Northern League then, and the League today that was uh, led by its historical leader, Umberto Bossi, that then you know, uh, fell in disarray because of a corruption scandal, stand, uh, scandal and he was uh, substituted by Matteo Salvini, the current leader. Traditionally, Sido Berlusconi Party has always been a, a, gaining at least a, twice as many votes as the league. So it's been the primary stakeholder of the coalition. This is, starting with this election, this is not the case anymore. This is the first time where the league not only has overcome uh, Forza Italia, but they made it also very clear during the campaign that whoever party would come out uh, first in the coalition would have also gained right to, express, uh, the, to state who the prime minister for the coalition should be. So Matteo Salvini now is not just a person that has been able to uh, overturn uh, the political uh, fate of uh, the league and bring, but, and, uh, bring it uh, to the highest level of consensus it ever had since pretty much the early 90s when it was established, but he's also the pivotal figure in that coalition. Something that, uh, you know, and, and it is uh, worth mentioning, something that possibly um, is not sufficiently stressed right now. Because of the uh, Italian electoral system, Parties don't compete against one another by themselves, but through true coalition. So we had the center-left coalition and the center-right coalition. So even though the league is nothing else than uh, the third party in terms of international poll, after the Five Star Movement, after the Democratic Party, it is the leader of the biggest coalition in terms of number of votes. So the president of the Republic now, in picking who should be prime minister at the, after this election, cannot uh, forget that at, an, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you're the first party what matters is whether you can command the highest number of votes and therefore of seats in parliament because you're the leader of the most important coalition and that is surprisingly enough matteo salvini
1: what is your uh view of mr salvini francesca
0: well i think he's done um, a better job than other previous leaders in my view um he has Presented himself as being able to represent, to ride this anti-migrants wave that has been developing in Italy and other European countries. At the same time, um, it, it's not really clear what, in, in general, his program will be besides this um, deportations that he is pledging left and right about uh, illegal immigrants. Um, I think is anti EU uh, vision is unlikely to be realized in any type of government. Um, and so it's, it's not clear to me at this point.
1: 844 is the number to give us a call. If you would like to join in with your comments or questions, Dan Loney here in our studios in Philadelphia, Francesco Vassallo of the University of Southern Maine joining us on the phone, as is uh, Filippo Tadai, who is with uh, Cy Europe, Johns Hopkins University. I, I guess the other uh, part that Uh, that Filippo mentioned, Francesca, that I wanted to bring up was uh, this five-star movement. And give us the background on them because they played a role in this as well over the weekend.
0: Yes, and I think, probably, they, they played a stronger role than the League did, in my view. Uh, I think they, they developed as a typical anti-establishment movement. Uh, they were there to become anti-systemic, to take down any other parties, to represent themselves as being the only one who were actually credible and un- not corrupt um, in the Italian political system. And so they managed to actually um, convince voters that they were the only ones who actually were listening to citizens in Italy, whereas parties historically were listening only to their own political leaders and to their own pockets instead. So the the Five Star Movement had had some ups and downs over the last five years. They didn't do very well in in a couple of occasions where they had control of certain cities in, in Italy, such as Rome. But it seems they, they moved on, and they managed once again to convince voters that they can do better at the national level if they get to control the national government.
1: What do, do the results of, of these parliamentary elections mean for current President Sergio Mattarella, in your mind, Francesca?
0: Well, I think he will have to make a difficult decision, which is not un, un, unusual, I would say, for the President of the Republic in Italy these past five, ten years. And the question is that whether he will just simply go for the largest party at this point after the elections, that that will be the the five star movement. Or you will choose to go for actually the largest coalition, which is the center right league coalition. Um, I don't think anyone here knows what the government will look like. Uh, I think it's a more it will be down. it It will get down to negotiations among the three larger parties, the two, the coalition and the parties, in my view. Um, I think Mattarella may just try to pick the largest party first, the five-star movements, in, with the hope that maybe they, they get to form a coalition. But I don't think anyone really knows what will happen.
1: Filippo,
2: your reaction? Oh, I agree with that. It's a very uncertain cert- time. But let me say why I, uh, although I sided with Francesca in terms of uh, perceived uncertainty. I'm a bit more um, asserted on what is the most likely outcome. Not the only outcome, but the most likely outcome. And why I think... It would be uh, very surprising that President Mattarella gives the mandate to form a new government to the first party that is the Five Star Movement. As Francesca pointed out, the Five Star Movement is the typical anti-establishment party that is built on the rhetoric that there is uh, some uh, basically fundamentally corrupt democracy out there and then a, a bunch of uh, uh, young, competent, uh, uh, honest people can uh, actually overturn uh, what uh, has been there for a very long time. But beyond, beyond that, you know, of course, that has been very powerful uh, the, uh, has pushed the five-star movement uh, to gain over 30% of the vote, 32% according to the last account of the vote. But still, there, uh, if you convert that in terms of number of seats, that gives uh, uh, the five-star movement a very large number of seats, but still, not enough, not even closely enough, to form a majority. The five-star movement cannot form a majority in any of the two chambers, and we should not forget that in order to form a government in the Italian system, you needed to gain a vote of confidence in both chambers, you know, the Senate, the lower chamber, that really do the the same thing. So now the question is that if you are the president of Mattarella and you understand that, you have also understand that uh, uh, although the center-right coalition is, uh, you know, every single party there, doesn't have the same level of consensus that uh, the factor movement has. All together, these parties have commands more seats in parliament yeah. in both uh, chambers. So they have a higher chance, higher likelihood of forming a government. And you know, don't forget, that the President of the Republic in these cases has one obligation only, which is, you know, to act consistently with the value of the Constitution, which is somewhat problematic given some of the items on the agenda of the center right, but, you know, to facilitate as quickly as possible the formation of a new government. In the absence of the formation of, the, uh, of a new government, you know, that would be the biggest uh, threat on uh, the power and the, and the substantial legitimacy of the President of the Republic, and I'm sure this is something that President Mattarella does not want to face.
1: Well, Francesca, how challenging would it be to be able to uh, to get that coalition in government set in place? And I ask that from the perspective of, you know, obviously we have seen the stories of what has been happening in Germany right now, and obviously it has been quite a challenge for Angela Merkel to be able to try and, and get to that point. Is, is it a similar type of, of atmosphere uh, in Italy compared to Germany?
0: I think there are two major differences between the Italian context and the German context. Uh, Number one, I think the German context has a lot less political instability in general, historically. And number two, Germany has an advantage, which is Germany has Angela Merkel. Uh, Italy does not have Angela Merkel. Um, And she just finished, finally, um, the formation of the coalition yesterday. The the SPD accepted the grand coalition again, so she will be able to govern for another four years. The difference between these two countries is that in Germany, whenever there is a coalition, the coalition itself is often very self-disciplined. And so if they agree to to belong to a coalition, the coalition will last the entire term of four years in government until the next elections. In the Italian case, instead, what happens is often these coalitions may start uh, with everyone friends with everybody else, but then they don't necessarily last until the end of the term of five years. And so even if there is a coalition, and that has to, you know, that's a, a guarantee now, there has to be a coalition of some sort if we don't want a, a minority government. Mm-hmm. If there is a coalition, still I'm not convinced that we'll, we'll see the same coalition five years down the road.
1: Filippo?
2: Oh, I, I, I very much agree with Francesca. It's possible, I'd like to give, uh, you know, admission reason why I think... Uh, um, the Italian case is far more certain than the German one. I don't think it's just a matter of tradition. It's also there is also um, a gear that we have to consider between uh, the dynamic between anti-establishment party and establishment party. If you look at the coalition in Germany between the SPD and the CDU, uh, these are two traditional, you know, these are the two traditional pillars of uh, German democracy. So there are parties that compete even fiercely during election, but you know, agree that they share some general responsibility toward the country. This is not the case uh, that we observe in Italy. We, you do have a, a, a party that is uh, uh, traditional, that has a very clear sense of uh, collective responsibility, like the Democratic Party, uh, you have a, a clearly anti-establishment party, which is the five-star movement, you have another, uh, weirdly enough, anti-establishment party that is the League, allied with an establishment party, which is the Forza Italia. So this dynamic between anti-establishment parties and establishment party makes, uh, from a, a very substantial point of view, it's like a clash of political civilization, if you want. And where, Two parties that uh, do not uh, recognize, or two sides that don't recognize each other the legitimacy to be part of the, of the coalition, have to be uh, brought together. And that is, that is really important. If all parties, in a sense, were, uh, um, uh, were not uh, uh, debating the, 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 the foundation of the, and the legitimacy of the Italian democratic institutions, a coalition could more easily be formed. This is not the case in Italy, and this is why I think we're looking at something far more uncertain uh, 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 compared to the German case. Even so, we have to say, even under that level of uh, um, similarity that we're observing in the German case, it took uh, Germany uh, over uh, four months to form a bad government. So, let's understand each other on something here. Any system that is built on a proportional electoral system. And the therefore, triggers coalition government is inherently more difficult to operate right now as opposed to others. Think about France. Think about France. You know, uh, President Macron has been a very successful candidate. But, you know, we have to recognize that with uh, 23% of the votes in the first round he, go, he gained, he became a president of the French Republic and now he is, 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 commands the largest majority in the history of the Fifth Republic in, uh, in France and that has to do Certainly to his merit, but also to the fact that the electoral system is a very uh, majoritarian one, very similar to the one that you have in the United States in terms of structure and even there are differences. So the electoral system plays a difference, and the establishment and anti-establishment cleavage plays another important difference.
1: Well, you mentioned uh, a little while ago about the issues surrounding immigration, and obviously Italy has been one of several uh, European countries which has been dealing with a, a, an amazing influx of people over the last year and a half and as you said uh, a lot of people that live in Italy are are uh, disheartened with the amounts of people that have ended up uh, coming into Italy or or through Italy what is it that that they would like to see happen in your mind to try and and mitigate that to a degree
2: Look, this, uh, this has become a symbolic issue because if you look at the statistics, if you look at the numbers, so the number of uh, uh, immigrants in Italy, the percentage of uh, foreign-born that live in Italy, not only by US standard, but by French standard, by German standard, we're talking about uh, a percentage that is much lower than you observe elsewhere, than you observe in the US, than you observe in Germany or right. France. So to, to, say, to, say, to, to, to just give you a few examples, even in Spain, as, as, ma- as far as uh, that matters. Um, now the issue is that this will become symbolic because the inflow of migrants due to the uh, humanitarian crisis in the uh, in uh, in the middle east and in sub-saharan africa as uh, the influx of migrants has been very uh, has intensified a lot in the last two years right. this is provide you know we've all seen terrible images of people living in terrible conditions in the middle of the desert being uh, put on these uh, floating boats that sink after a few miles off the coast. So, we've all seen uh, the terrible human tragedy, and that has communicated a sense of emergency to the Italian population. And a sense of emergency that the League First, but also the Five Star Movement, so all the anti establishment, the populist movement in Italy, have uh, used to their advantage in a very cynical but also effective way, we have recognized. Now, the issue is that because they all spent the political campaign to do silly promise that are completely unsustainable from any fiscal or financial point of view the only real change in, uh, in italian policy that you will see that uh, in my opinion that you're likely to see in the next few years has to do with something symbolic on the migration crisis so a policy of much more uh, intense closure compared to what we've seen in the past i don't know how that can be done without uh, entailing, uh, horrible humanitarian losses. Right. Let's keep in mind that uh, you know, we, have an obli- we have an obligation according to the international law to save people at sea. And uh, the only way to stop the inflow of migrants uh, in, uh, to the Italian coast is to stop saving people that are calling for help while they're in the middle of the sea. And I don't think how Western civilization can survive to the fact uh, and our values and our identity can survive to the fact that we stop rescuing people that call for help in the middle of the sea while they're sinking.
1: Francesca?
0: Well, you know, I, I agree. I think the, the problem of the the migrant crisis started about three, four years ago, and actually, um, over the last two years, uh, the overall numbers have, have declined. So yeah. um, we we haven't seen as many as we used to in 2014, 2015, 2016, because in part of the inter of the um, inter, of, of the intervention of the European Union. Uh, now, to be clear, you know, there have always been illegal immigrants in Italy. Nothing. <laughs> this is nothing new. The problem is the number the high numbers that actually come through due, due to the situation in Northern Africa and, and the Middle East. Uh, at this point, you know, I, I'm not seeing any of the top party, parties in Italy actually proposing anything else than deportations, which is uh, sort of a quick selling point right. to, to your voters, rather than actually presenting a, a more long-term solution on what to do with this situation. The irony of all this is that Italy has a very aging population. And so Italy desperately needs new labor force. And so these immigrants actually would actually fit very well in the economy of the Italian, of the Italian state, especially because they, they, they're not really having as many large young generations as before. This is also the case in Germany, for instance, where also Germany is a very aging popu- has a very aging population. So there is this irony of the reality of the situation where actually new labor force is needed, and the the, the rejection from the Italian voters of accepting, in some ways, uh, immigrants into Italy.
1: We are joined on the phone by Francesco Vassallo of uh, the University of Southern Maine. Filippo today, who is uh, with uh, Sci Europe, uh, Johns Hopkins University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio111 or my Twitter account, which is at Loney 21 uh, So when you look at, at I guess, to a degree, Francesca, the short term, but also a little bit of the long term as well. Where do you see the political process in Italy going right now?
0: Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm more convinced there will be some type of coalition in the making. Uh, I think that will come down to negotiations. As, as typical, before the elections, no parties no party really wants to uh, to pledge to any sure. negotiations. Yeah. Very few of them, actually, because you want to actually try to get as many votes as possible. But after the the elections results, probably out of necessity, you you have no choice. You know, if you want to be part of government, you're going to have to negotiate to be part of government. And this is true for the the, the top parties in the Italian case. So there will be some type of coalition, hopefully, because if that fails. Well, there is. there are two more options. Number one, there is a minority government option in which there's a government who simply take, takes care of business for the time being until the other option is new elections are called. And so you have a second wave of elections and see whether or not actually the results are different. But in, in I would say over the next six months, I'm not seeing any uh, clear results of where this right. will go.
1: Filippo?
2: Okay. I, as I mentioned before, I, I might be... Do- um, this is also my forecast. I expect uh, the, the most likely outcome is a coalition government. I think the, difficult, uh, the difficulty to be solved is that even though I, uh, I think there's a natural candidate for the centre-right uh, coalition to form a, that government, uh, as the number stands right now, uh, if the forecasts that are, are about to be uh, confirmed uh, very shortly from now, uh, are uh, are there? Uh, they do not have enough members of parliament to have a majority by themselves. So the question that that pops out is the following: Given that the center right will form a government, where else will will they get the votes the, that they need in order to get a, um, to pass a confidence vote first, and then to pass any legislation that they think is uh, appropriate? And you know you don't have uh, many many options there. You can look at uh, the. Uh, you can look at the Democratic Party, and I think that's honestly very unlikely to be the case. It's very unlikely that the Democratic Party will, will provide some sort of external support to this newly formed coalition government. On the other side, uh, so the only other candidate that uh, they can go to, the only other candidate partner that the central right can turn to, is the five-star movement. I'm somewhat more optimistic because it would put the Five Star Movement in a very uh, comfortable position. The Five Star Movement can say that uh, they're just going to vote issue by issue. They're not going to take responsibility for uh, that government, but they're going to act as kind of a watchdog on behalf of the people, you know, uh, kind of uh, um, something for the people, by the people within parliament, you know, a government by, a direct government by citizens, or, get, or they, a direct watchdog uh, in contact with the citizens, something like that, which right. of course is is something that the populist party love to advocate, because it basically gives them a lot of political leverage, and at the same time, very little political responsibility. Uh, what I think is, is, is quite unlikely is something that Francesca uh, mentioned as one of the, poss- uh, the possibilities, which is a possibility, but I think so likely. And it is the fact that uh, we go into early election uh, somewhere soon. And that has to do with the fact that if I think there is a general conviction that uh, if we go to election with the same proportional representation system that produced a hung parliament, you are very likely to get the same thing. And then, you know, you would start wondering. If you look at Italy from the outside, given that Italy has, is the, has the largest public debt in the Eurozone, right. uh, in terms of a percentage of GDP, given that Italy, you know, if Italy is not able to form a government, I think people could get a bit nervous. And if people that uh, lend you money get nervous and you need a lot of that, 400 billion on a yearly basis, which is the rate of uh, turnover in Italian in Italian public debt. So to give you a US equivalent, we're talking about uh, the turnover of public debt on a yearly basis, so the amount of debt that needs to be refinanced every every year in Italy is uh, more or less 25% of GDP. Okay, so make that in by, by U.S. standard, yes. we it would be the uh, it would be the equivalent. you guys are 18 trillion, so we're talking about you know 1.8, 3.6. We're talking about four 4.5 trillion to be refinanced every every year. Uh, It's a lot of money, so you better not give uh, these people too many reasons to be concerned about the future of the economy. So that's why uh, going into early election before changing the electoral system is something that I think is the least likely of all the possible outcomes.
1: Great having you both with us. Thank you very much for your time. Francesco, all the best. Filippo, thank you again.
0: Thank you so much, Dan. Pleasure. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Oh, 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 oh,